You're listening to audio from Cities Church. You can find more resources and learn about our ministry by visiting citieschurch.com. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. It's not life. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord, Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. We are in sermon number 4 of the Rooted series. And this morning, I want to talk with you about money. Raise your hand. Who is excited this morning to talk about money? Okay, look. So one of, my, one of the goals that I have over the next two sermons is that the next time I ask that question, more of us can raise our hand. Okay, that's a small goal I have there. Um, but in case you're new this morning and you have no clue what's going on or why I'm saying this, let me just try to back up for a minute and put it all in context. Why are we talking about money? Well, we are just, uh, just past the halfway mark of our Rooted series, which represents, the Rooted series represents the beginning of a new chapter in the life of our church. We as a church are going from having been a church planted to becoming a church rooted. Yeah, that's right. We're going to get that. From, from having been a church planted to becoming a church rooted. And there are three parts to this initiative. It's page five in your vision guidebook. The three parts are number one, we want to freshly embrace our vision. And it all starts here. Okay, this is the most important part. And the first three sermons of this series have been all about this. Okay, the, the first uh, three sermons have been, we've been looking at the three essentials that we have as a church. Jesus one another in the Twin Cities. We, as a church, worship Jesus, we love one another, and we seek the good of these Twin Cities for the glory of God. And last Sunday, Pastor David Mathis, he called us to that. He called us to be rooted here, which gets at the second part of our initiative, and that is to invest in our footprint. Our vision as a church is local. 
We are called to be a local church here in the Twin Cities, starting at 1524 Summit Avenue. And so we want to steward this building that God has provided us. And that means that we want to do renovations to this building that maximize it for ministry and make it a lighthouse for the glory of Jesus. And there's a process for how we do this. And there's going to be membership meetings in the future. But it does mean that down the road, we are going to do construction. Okay, we are going to do construction on this space, and that leads to the third part of this initiative, which is that we commit to give. If we embrace the vision and we're here, investing here in this place, it means that we are going to give to what God is doing here, right? And so over the next two sermons, I want to talk more about this giving piece. And it's going to take two sermons to talk about giving because here in the first sermon, I need to acknowledge the elephant in the room. Y'all know what that is? The elephant in the room? It's a good figure of speech, right? It's, It's a great figure of speech because you guys know elephants are big animals, right? It doesn't matter where they are. I mean, an elephant is a big animal. So just imagine for, for a minute, imagine if there were an elephant in the middle of this room. You see it? You got you to imagine. The elephant's right here. Imagine there's an elephant in the middle of this room. What it means is that you can't really talk about anything else until you acknowledge the elephant. That's what the figure of speech means. Because if you try to talk about anything else, the only thing people are going to see is the elephant. Because it's an elephant, right? I mean, it's it's a big elephant right in the middle of this room. And so I need to address the elephant. And here it is, all right? Here's the elephant. You ready? This is the elephant in our room. The elephant is that over the next two sermons, we're going to talk about giving. But most people do not give. There it is. That's the elephant. We doing good? All right. It's right there. We see it. That's the elephant in the room. And this is just ubiquitous for Americans. It's a ubiquitous fact about Americans. All the studies, all the studies over the last 20 years show this. The average American gives less than 2% of their income to charitable organizations. And of the less than 2% that Americans give, less than 40% of that goes to religious institutions like churches. But you might say, that's, that's Americans. What about Christians? Well, the fact is, the average Protestant Christian in America gives the same as the average anybody. Just 2%. Just 2%. Now, the elephant leads to a question that I want to address in this sermon. This is the, the question that I want to spend some time looking at. The question is this, really simply, why is that the case? Why don't Christians give more money to God? That's the question. Why don't Christians give more money to God. The goal of this sermon is to answer that question and then consider the remedy that Jesus gives us here 
in Matthew 6. But first, we need to stop and pray again. Okay, so I want to ask that you pray, pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word that shows us the path of life. This morning, I asked that you would break through our potential misconceptions and hang-ups on the topic of money. And I ask that by the power of your Spirit, please guide us in all truth through Jesus Christ our Lord. In his name, amen. The question again, why don't Christians give more money to God? I think Jesus shows us the answer in Matthew 6. And we can see it when we understand the connection between verses 19 and 24 and verses 25 to 34. This is where we, we, we find the answer to our question here. And what I want to do is I want to put it in one very clear sentence. Before I get there, I, I want us to get there together. Okay? I want us to walk through this and arrive together. So let's start at verse 19. Okay? Jesus is talking about money here beginning in verse 19, and this is one of his most reasonable teachings in all the Gospels, okay? What Jesus does, he gives us a negative and a positive. Here is something that you should not do. Here is something that you should do, okay? So just look at this with me. First, there's what not to do. This is the negative. This is verse 19 right here. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Okay, that's verse 19. Everybody see that? Verse 19, that's the negative. All right, now here is, is what to do, the positive. The positive is verse 20. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. That's verse 20. So verse 19 and verse 20. We can all see what Jesus is saying here. Verse 19, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth. Verse 20, do lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Now, what is the reason why Jesus says this? What's the reason for Jesus to say this? Why not lay up treasures on earth? Why should we lay up treasures in heaven? Well, guess what? The reason that Jesus says this is not because of what moths and rust and thieves do. Okay? When Jesus mentions those three things in, verse, in verses 19 and 20, he does not state them as reasons, but as characteristics. See, these three things are characteristics of earth. On earth... Moths eat clothes, and rust exists, and thievery happens. But in heaven, none of these things happen. And so if you want to do a risk assessment and invest your treasure based upon the probability of those characteristics happening, that's fine. But that's not Jesus' main point. His main point is in verse 21. And it's that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's his reason for why you should not lay up treasures on earth. See, that's his reason. And your treasure is not an exact correlation to your money, but it's more like what you do with your money, okay? Your, your treasure is what your money acquired. It's your financial investments. It's what you accrue with your money over time. That, whatever that is, that becomes the place of your devotion and love, Jesus says. That is where your heart will be. 
Which is why healthy discipleship eventually must talk about money. Jesus teaches us that money and our hearts are so closely connected. And so if we're going to follow Jesus and we actually care about one another's hearts, we're going to talk about money. It's a good thing to talk about money. And y'all know, if you've been around Cities Church over the last six years, we have hardly said anything about money which is a bad thing. It has been part of our immaturity as a church. And so just for your imagination, imagine now, weeks from now, imagine, I don't know, months from now, imagine a conversation, okay? Imagine a conversation someone new to cities has with me. Someone new to our church, they've been coming for just a couple weeks, and they come up to me after a service, they're brand new, they come up and they say, Pastor, I've noticed that at this church, you guys often say stuff about money. I've noticed that you guys tend to talk a lot about money. Here's my reply. Yeah, isn't that great? Isn't that great? Because we really want to follow Jesus. And we really care about the hearts of the people in this church. That's my reply. Because Jesus says, Jesus says it, he says it. (laughs) Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so look, if all your treasure is earthly treasure, it will get eaten, it will get rusty, it will get stolen because that happens on this earth. And and when that happens, what will it mean for your heart? That's what Jesus is talking about. And we assume that if, track with me here, we assume that if your treasure gets rusty, and your treasure is where your heart is, then your heart must get rusty too. If your, if your treasure gets eaten away at, little by little, and your treasure is where your heart is, then your, your heart must get eaten away at too. And when the heart is gone, everything else in your life will go sideways. That's what Jesus is talking about in verse 22 and 23 when he talks about the eye and the body. The eye has an important guiding function for the rest of our bodies. Our eyes are meant to show us where to go, but if they malfunction, if, if, if we're blinded, if we can't see, it's darkness and we don't know where to go. In the same way, the heart steers the person and treasure steers the heart. And so what Jesus does for us in verse 24 is he makes it very, very plain for us. He says that money, like God, is a master. And a servant cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. And I love how the King James puts it, Pastor Kenny, mammon. Mammon, you know, mammon is, we don't use that word. It's a great word, we don't use it every day. 
It's a, it's a, a, a transliteration of a Hebrew word, and mammon is important because it means more than just money. Okay, what Jesus is talking about here is more than just liquid cash, all right? He's talking about possessions. He's talking about the whole deal of what we have. It is a master. It is, mammon is a God all its own, and you cannot serve that God and the true God because the true God deserves and demands exclusive allegiance. You cannot serve God and money, so you have to choose. This is the way Jesus teaches about money. Isn't it great? So clear. This is what he says. This, this is what he says about money. You have to choose. You can't serve God and money. Choose then. And, and for most of us, we're familiar with this passage. We know this passage. We've read it before. And it seems like, I mean, based upon what Jesus says here, how clear it is, based upon his reasons, it seems like 10 out of 10 followers of Jesus are going to read this and say, hey, okay, yes, I choose God. I am going to serve God, not money. But does that mean we give less than 2% of our income? See? Is that what it means? To serve God and not money? Now, it's important that we see here Jesus is not done with his teaching. Look at verse 25. Notice especially now that 25 comes after 24. <laughs> All right? There's probably a little header in your English Bible, separates them. But notice it comes right after verse 24. It comes right after what Jesus says in verse 25 comes right after what Jesus says about money. And I, I think this is because Jesus is anticipating a good question, okay? Because imagine people hear what Jesus says, people read this teaching of Jesus that you cannot serve, you cannot serve God and money. They hear that, and so they, they ask or they think, wait a minute, wait a minute, Jesus. If I don't serve money, how will I make it in this world? Because I have to have money. Like, Money is used to take care of me. Money gives me what I need and more. I mean, just practically speaking, I don't know what I would do if money is not my master. And Jesus says to that, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious. You cannot serve God and money, therefore do not be anxious about not having the things that you think money gets you. You see it? Jesus teaches us not to serve money, and then he tells us not to be anxious. Could it be that anxiety is the real cause of greed? Of course it is. Anxiety is the real cause of greed. We are anxious that we won't have enough. If, if we give that money there, we might not have money for this or that or that or that or that. And it just keeps going. 
Remember, the question is this. The question is, why don't Christians give more money to God? The one sinist answer is this. Christians don't give more money to God because we're anxious that if we do, it will make us miserable. That's the anxiety that Jesus is addressing here in verses 25 to 34. It's the anxiety that we won't have enough to eat. We won't have enough to drink. We won't have clothes to wear. And being in the predicament of lacking those things is misery. Right? That's miserable. And we don't want to be miserable. We are anxious about being miserable. Which is why we relate to money the way that we do. And Jesus here, he directly addresses one type of misery, the misery of our needs not being met. But there are at least two types of misery, and I want to talk about those for just a minute, okay? So just to be clear, what I'm, what I'm going to do here for just a minute is we're, 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 we're talking about anxiety, okay? Because that's where Jesus goes in verse 25. Jesus talks about anxiety. And if you drill down into anxiety, we see that the anxiety is about misery. And if you drill down into the misery, there are at least two types of misery that we try to avoid with money. One, right here, is the misery of lack. All right, that's what Jesus is addressing head on. The other is the misery of boredom. Okay? The misery of lack and the misery of boredom. The misery of lack says, I have nothing to eat. The misery of boredom says, I have nothing to do. The misery of lack drives a fear that we will not have enough and so we keep. The misery of boredom drives a desire for abundance and so we spend. So those who might lack and those who might get bored, those who keep and those who spend, those who save and those who shop, both can be efforts not to be miserable. Both can come from a place of anxiety and both have no room for giving. See how it works? Because to give, to give is to neither keep nor spend. To give is to neither save nor shop. And that can make us anxious. Because if we, if we give that money, we don't have that money to keep or spend. And then we might be miserable, and then that is where our anxiety comes from. And look, we, we all know this. Every single person in this room gets this. We feel this. And this is not to say that we don't ever keep or spend. Of course we do. Of course we keep and we spend. But if we keep and spend from anxiety, and therefore, because of that anxiety, we do not give, Jesus has something to say to us. And it's not about giving. It's about anxiety. Do you see this? 
Jesus goes straight for the heart. And he tells us, all of us who are so uncomfortable when it comes to this topic, Jesus says to us right now, don't be anxious. Do not be anxious. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow they, they, they neither sow nor uh, sow, keep gathering the barns. They're not industrious, they're birds. And yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. He takes care of them. Are you not of more value than they? Ask the question. Do you, do you know, Christian, that you are more valuable to God than birds. That's where Jesus takes us here. This is how Jesus confronts our anxiety. He reminds us about the Father's love. And to be honest, let me just say this. If you are part of our church, I do not ultimately care whether you give your money to City's Church. But I do care if you don't give your money because you think God will not take care of you. The anxiety is the bigger issue. And like Jesus, that's where I want to go. And I want to remind you of what Jesus reminds us here in Matthew 6. This is the remedy Jesus gives us. The remedy to our anxiety is to remember the Father's care for us. Jesus gives us three facts about the Father's care. The first is this. this is the first. We're going to close here. These three things. The first is this. Three facts Jesus gives us about the Father's care. Number one, you are valuable to God. Altogether, this is verse 26. Altogether, this is the point Jesus is making. He says that God cares about birds... God values you more than birds. Therefore, implied, God will always take care of you. And it's simple here to see in totality what Jesus says, but I don't want us to rush, to rush past the minor premise that Jesus says here, we are valuable to God. You are valuable to God because of God's love for us through our faith in Jesus. As sons and daughters of God, God is our Father and His posture toward us is love. It's not a coincidence that in the Sermon on the Mount, here in Matthew 6, when we get to this chapter, Jesus repeatedly calls God your Father. He's our Father. God is our Heavenly Father, and it's our Heavenly Father who feeds the birds. Which, hey, nothing against birds here, but He's our Father. You get what Jesus is? He's our Father. We matter more to him than birds. One of my pastors growing up, he preaches this sermon called The Birds Are Still Singing. And it is a brilliant sermon. Heard it growing up several times. It's brilliant because what he does is he takes what Jesus says here, look at the birds, and he says basically that birds exist. And I believe this, I'm saying this. You can, I, I believe this, 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 this to be true. Birds exist Basically, birds exist to remind us of God's care for us, okay? 
Therefore, every time you hear a bird sing, you should receive it as a reminder of God's care for you. I believe that. And guess what? Every time you hear a bird sing, you should receive it as a reminder of God's care for you. Birds are singing all the time. As I was reviewing this section this morning in my study, the birds were just going at it outside my window. And I said, Father, I get it. I know what that means. So look, I want to I encourage you, over the next week, if I, 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 I want to hear about it because I know it's going to happen. Over the next week, if you look at the birds, like Jesus says, if you listen for the birds, you're going to hear them singing all the time. And when you hear them, know what Jesus, remember what Jesus says, and know that means that God cares for you. You are more valuable than the birds. Okay, number two, second fact here, verse 32, your heavenly Father knows all your needs. Now that, that's the reason uh, that we should not be anxious about what we're going to eat, what we're going to drink, what we're going to wear. The Gentiles, the, the, the nations, those without a heavenly Father, they seek after all these things, but you, church, we, we have a heavenly Father, and our heavenly Father knows that we need them all. Jesus told us this earlier in chapter 6. He says in chapter 6, verse 8, not to pray like the Gentiles who think they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, Jesus says, because your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, this is hard for adults, Okay. Because a big part of being an adult is that you have to think about things that as a child you did not have to think about, right? That's maybe the main difference between being an adult and being a child. You gotta think about things that children never think about. When I, when I look at my younger kids, I kind of watch them, I realize they don't think about anything. What they eat, what they drink, what they wear, it never crosses their minds. You know why? Because it's on mine. Melissa's, I mean. Okay. <laughs> mine too. Now look, can you imagine yourself? Can you imagine yourself as a child under the care of of your heavenly Father, and what you need is on his mind. In fact, what you need tomorrow is already on his mind today. He is your Father, church, and he cares for you. He is your Father, and he knows what you need. Number three, your heavenly Father will supply all these things, verse 33. This is an amazing promise in the word of God, Matthew 6, 33. I remember as a kid, my dad taught me this verse, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And this goes back to verse 24, right? Serve God, choose God, serve God, seek God, put God first and his kingdom and his ways and all these types of things that we are prone to be anxious about, God will provide them. Don't be anxious. 
Because God is your heavenly Father and He cares for you. Question, answer, remedy. Question, why don't Christians give more money to God? Answer, because we are anxious that if we do, we will be miserable. Remedy, remember that God is our heavenly Father. And He cares for us. And when we really get this, when we understand this, it will create a paradigm shift for how we think about giving because it will cause us to look up. Maybe for the first time when it comes to giving because often when it comes to giving, we, we tend to look down, right? We, we think about giving in terms of the difference that giving will make for us. And then there's all these anxieties. What about God? What about the difference it will make for God? What if we thought about our giving from the perspective of our Heavenly Father who we know cares for us? What if we thought about giving in the context of a father-child relationship and we knew that through our giving we can actually bring delight to the heart of our Father? We're going to talk about that next week. That's next week. But the foundation is where Jesus takes us here in Matthew 6. The foundation, the foundation is that God is our Heavenly Father. And He cares for us. And that's what brings us to the table. God is a good Father to care for our needs, right? He is. But our greatest need goes way beyond food and clothing. It is our need for the forgiveness of our sins. And for that need, God has provided a lamb. See, to see, to see God's love for us most vividly, we don't look to the bread and drink on our tables, but we look to the cross of Jesus, which is what the bread and drink of this table represents. The bread represents the broken body of Jesus. The cup represents his shed blood, which was poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. And so this morning, if you're here and you embrace Jesus as your Lord and Savior and treasure, if you've put your faith in Jesus, we want to invite you now to eat and drink with us. His body is the true bread. His blood is the true drink. Let us serve you.